All right, let's do this. Hey guys, I'm Parker Kane. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Upbeat. I share a lot of motivational stuff and info on social media, music, and entertainment. But I will also be sharing my personal experiences and interviewing all kinds of other people for their stories and their experiences, finding and pursuing what they really love to do. Let's get into it. Hey guys, this is Upbeat. I'm your host, Parker Kane. Thank you for being here and for listening in. I appreciate it. I've got a really cool in-depth conversation coming up with Sean Walchev. He's a restaurant owner. He owns and operates Cali Comfort Barbecue in San Diego, California. He's a podcast co-host of Behind the Smoke, a Barbecue War Stories podcast. He's also a sports entertainment entrepreneur, barbecue and tailgating event organizer, and proud father of two children. So go check him out on Instagram. Give him a follow. It's at Cali Comfort bbq and their website is calicomfortbbq.com you can go there for all the information about them and their podcasts and their events but in this interview we dive into all kinds of topics like work-life balance entrepreneurship podcasting the importance of branding and having an online presence the los angeles chargers and even a little bit about addiction and overcoming alcoholism honestly you guys are going to love sean he's one of the brightest people i've ever had the pleasure of interviewing he's incredibly generous with the advice and the insight that he brought to the table and he was also very open and vulnerable with the stories that he shared. So you don't want to miss this one and I don't want to waste any more time. So let's get into it. All right, Upbeat listeners, we're in for a real treat this episode because joining me on the show today is the owner operator of Cali Comfort Barbecue in San Diego, California, podcast co-host of Behind the Smoke, a Barbecue War Stories podcast, sports entertainment entrepreneur, barbecue and tailgating organizer, and of course, proud and loving father. Sean Walchef. Did I say that right, Walchef? You did. Very well done. Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you very much for being here on the show with me today. It's my pleasure. Uh, I'm very excited to be on this Upbeat podcast. Well, thanks for being here. And, uh, you know, here on Upbeat, I like to kick things off by getting to know the guests a little bit more and diving into their backgrounds and kind of covering that first. So could you just briefly share with us a little bit about your upbringing and I don't, like a little more of like what little Sean was like and, and what your roots were. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, so I, I never met my father, um, which turned out to be the biggest blessing in my life. Um, when I was six months old, my mom, she had me when she was in nursing school and she moved our family back to San Diego, to uh, La Jolla, California, where my grandfather, her father was so that he could help raise me. And um, that afforded me a man who was an immigrant from Bulgaria, who was born in a village, um, somebody that spent his whole life using education to create more opportunities, um, working hard to become a medical doctor during World War II, um, and essentially creating a life of privilege for for his family. And, you know, he raised me as a son. Um, and for me, I was afforded the ability to go to private schools. Um, here in San Diego, uh, in La Jolla, and that allowed me to network with um, some incredible friends, um, friends' families as well. And um, because of it, I created this relationship with my grandfather, you know, where he really was my father and helped him write his life story, uh, worked on his memoir. About when I was about 20 years old till about 23, we uh, worked and self-published his, his memoirs, which is something that I take great pride in. What all, what all goes into that? <laughs> you know, it was uh, when we were doing it. So we published in 2004. 
Um, and we, he was doing research from about 1999, collecting notes, um, just kind of trying to figure out, you know, which stories he wanted to tell um, in his life. And this was before voice um, to dictation was good. You know, he, he was he was somebody that loved technology. So he was always trying to find the next software that would allow him to to not have to type on a computer, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it would actually dictate to him. And, you know, it's funny to think about that now because we actually have that technology in spades. Um, yeah. So he, he would, he would um, tell me a story, you know, about when he was a little boy and then I would type it down for him to read. He would go back, you know, make notes. And then we actually hired a ghost writer as well by the name of John Shore, who came in and helped us, you know, really polish the book um, into something that, you know, we would be proud of to, to publish and to, to get to his uh, friends and family. I also had it translated into Bulgarian, his native language, so that um, his friends and family in Bulgaria could read it. Dang, that's <laughs> that's crazy. That sounds like a lot of work, and I bet that was a really special experience. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, being raised by your grandparents, there's a lot of generational things that I was afforded that some of my friends didn't have, a lot of traditions, a lot of work ethic, a lot of love of culture, opera, ballet, tennis. I mean, I grew up, you know, having my grandparents take me to these things. Um, you know, and I was a kid, so I didn't know any different. I didn't know that my friends were going to football games or going to the baseball game. Um, for me, this was just what I what I was supposed to do. And I was very lucky and fortunate, like I said, um, to have that opportunity. But, uh, you know, also just to learn about Bulgaria and to learn about, you know, growing up in a village, um, having zero expectations that you were going to leave um, that village and, you know, be, become something of yourself. And uh, having having that perspective and, you know, traveling with him to actually go back, um, and see his roots and see the village where he grew up. And those were um, things that I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life. Of course. Well, and that's got to be super. Uh, what's the word? Influence. That's the word. <laughs> that's got to play a big influence on how you do things now or, or how does that impact what you do now? <laughs> well, it's. Uh, I married a Bulgarian woman. Uh, my wife, uh, she was over here studying. So if the Bulgarian didn't have a, a, a big aspect, a big influence on my life, um, it was it was direct because I fell in love with the Bulgarian woman, and she, you know, she's the most incredible thing that's ever happened to me. Um, now we have two children. I've got a, a son that's two years old, and my daughter's three months old. And you know, every year they're going to go back to Bulgaria to visit their in-laws spend time with them, learn the language. And it's just something that for me, I'll always have that wall chef, um, that connection to my roots and to, you know, really where my family's from. I love that. I, I didn't know that you had a son and daughter too. So recently, three months, that's that's not far off. So congrats on that. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a very exciting summer in the uh, in the Walchef household. <laughs> I bet. Well, and okay, so with your with your upbringing, where do you think like or what's your passion and like where do you think that came from or or do you remember like an exact time where you knew what your passion was and the direction you wanted to go? You know, that's a great question. I think one of the challenges that I had being raised by my grandfather, um, you know, having uh, medical background, having been a medical doctor, he he wanted me to go to medical school or to law school, and that was something that I 
had thought that I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to go to law school and actually applied to all three law schools here in San Diego uh, because I wanted to be with him as he was aging. Um, but I got rejected by all three law schools. And it was really a tough point for me because I didn't really know, you know, I'd already changed my major from business major to a sociology major, which caused disruption in the in the household. He didn't he didn't know why I would want to study sociology because you couldn't make any money doing that and there was no reason that you should be studying, you know, something that doesn't have any value. But for me, taking sociology classes in college was really the first time where I actually didn't want to put the textbook down. I wanted to continue to learn and I wanted to continue to, you know, ask questions. I wanted to sit in front of class and I was engaged in a way that I hadn't been in business classes, which you know, now I run a sports bar and a barbecue restaurant and I do tailgating and events and podcasting, which, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's it's a love of people, you know, and you got to have a love of people and um, you've got to have hospitality, which is kind of I've always been somebody that wanted to have friends and family over. Um, my house was kind of the hangout spot in high school, so I'd always have friends spending the night. And I was always the host. You know, it was something that, you know, organizing around a sporting event was something that I was kind of good at. And it was good to get people to, hey, let's all get together and go to the Chargers game. Um, and we'll tailgate together and I'll bring this and you bring that. And it just kind of flowed naturally for me. And, uh, you know, I really found a, a love of doing that in the restaurant business. And, you know, it's I grew up in the restaurant business and actually hated it when I was a kid. You know, I was 12 years old and I hated bussing tables and washing dishes. Um, you know, I didn't think that, you know, it was cool that all my friends got to, you know, sleep in on Saturday and Sunday and got to go to the beach or got to go play soccer or whatever they were doing. And I had to go, you know, to our rest, our family restaurant and bus tables. But I'm really grateful that, you know, my grandfather made me do that because it taught me the value of hard work, but it also allowed me to realize that, I actually loved watching families come into the restaurant. You know, I loved watching mom and dad come up to the host and say, you know, we want to go sit, you know, in, in our favorite booth and we want this server um, because they make, you know, my, my daughter feel special. Those are things that I guess I was always attracted to. And the restaurant business is a hard business. You know, it's after getting rejected from law school, I didn't think that, oh, yeah, let's go raise money and open up a restaurant. I didn't think that was going to be my path, but things just so happened to work out that way. There was an opportunity for me to take over an existing liquor license um, so I could sell beer, liquor, wine, and put it at a location that didn't have a bar. So we added a sports bar and we made it a family-friendly restaurant and sports bar. And that was back in 2008. You know, we started with two, we started with 18 employees um, and now 11 years later we have 67 employees and we've 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 failed in in every way possible um, but we've managed to keep the doors open we've managed to stay profitable and we've managed to do a bunch of cool things that a single unit restaurant typically will never be able to accomplish and that, a lot of that goes back to doing what we're doing now and that's embracing the internet and embracing digital going all in on social media going all in on doing events, on hosting events, on getting involved in the community, caring about the details of the internet and how to really, you know, grow our message and grow our brand. Wow. So much there <laughs> that I definitely want to get uh, deeper into. Uh, number one, 
I'm glad you mentioned your college experience. A lot of the listeners of this podcast are college age. They're either in college or, uh, you know, recently graduated. And they're at that stage where they're, you know, maybe developing passions or maybe are worrisome or fearful about their future. And so, like, if you could give a word of advice to those college students, uh, what would you say? You know, I think probably the the toughest thing for me when I was in college was exactly what I talked about, and that was disappointing my grandfather, um, you know, because he was spending money for me to be at school and knowing that he had expectations of what that education would bring and really being true to my conviction that it would mean more to him in the long run to know that I was studying something that I cared about um, and something that I didn't know how I was going to use it, but I was going to use it. And, you know, I think a lot of my friends that I know, um, they had the same pressures on them as well. You know, family expectations of what you're supposed to get out of college. You know, this is life's path and this is you go to college, you get your degree, you go and you get your master's or you become an mm-hmm. attorney and then you get a job and you work at a corporate office. And like, that's really just not the world that we live in anymore. And that's the exciting part, but it's also terrifying for parents and for grandparents to accept the reality that you know, because it, it's a fear of the unknown. You know, we when we when we opened in 2008, you know, for advertising, we would put an ad in the yellow pages. I mean, I don't even know if your listeners know what the yellow pages are, but those directory, a phone book directory of all the businesses in the area that essentially was a hard copy delivered to every single resident in the area. And if you wanted bar- barbecue, you would look into the in the book, and in the book you would say, oh, there's Cali Comfort Barbecue. I'm going to go get barbecue. But if you weren't in that book, chances are it would be much harder to do business. Now, 11 years later, if you don't have an updated business profile on Google Maps or your Yelp page is out of date and you don't have photos that actually represent your menu, um, you're in a position that you know things aren't going to look so good for you in the next five to ten years. So you know, really, there's so much opportunity, and that that's really the coolest thing for people that are in college, is that if there's something that they love to do on the internet, on their phone, on a platform, there's a chance that they can create a job that never existed before, and they can help businesses um, to do things that they don't know how to do. I love that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're blessed. I mean, it's. There's definitely fear there. I love what you said about the fear of unknown. I've always felt like that's one of my biggest fears personally. And just for the grandparents, the parents, fearful for their kids, but also for the kid, like, shoot, I have this degree now. I'm graduated. Now what? Am I doing what I'm passionate about? If not, how can I get there? If I am doing what I'm passionate about, how can I make it? How can I succeed? And I also love what you said about making your own opportunities, making your own positions and just going for it. So thanks for sharing that. Um, now you're a restaurant owner. You've got Cali Comfort Barbecue in San Diego, California. You're a podcast host. You've got a media group. You're an event organizer. You are <laughs> a father now of, of two kids. So my question to you is, how do you balance all of it? You know, I think, you know, one of the misconceptions that we all have in society is that there has to be a balance. I know me, my personality type, there, there is no such thing as, as cruise control for me. 
I'm, I'm either all gas or I'm not in, you know, I'm, I'm all the way in the deep end and I'm in, in the pool, in the lake on top of the mountain, or I'm just not going. And for me, I do that with my family. I try to do that with my health. Um, I need to do a better job. It's been, it's frankly, it's been a little bit difficult, uh, with the two, with the two kids, but there's still no excuse because, you know, I want them to have a healthy dad, um, as they grow older. So, you know, balance, I, I, I don't think there needs to be a balance um, in the way that, you know, we should feel guilty because we're not spending enough time at home. You know, I try to bring my kids to um, the restaurant as much as I can. They're involved in the barbecue events. You know, my wife is, um, we're very social. We share a lot of our family online when a lot of people don't. That's a personal choice that we choose to make because for us, we, we get to live the life that we want to live. And that's you know, kind of just how we're going to do it. Awesome. I like that. Yeah. You know, there's no rule book really for life or for parenting or, and there's not like this certain amount of balance you have to have. You just kind of live your life your way. I love that a lot. Um, so how has the, I guess the birth of your son and daughter affected your business and the way you do things with your businesses? It's probably affected it in a positive way, if anything. I think, uh -huh. um, you know, caring about the next generation of my family and uh, making sure that I'm able to, you know, provide things that my grandfather was able to provide for me in terms of opportunities and, and love and care. I think that's, that's important. But, you know, my wife, she's, you know, for the last two, three years, she's um, hasn't been around the business as much as because she's been having, you know, our children definitely missing her at work. But, um, you know, when all said and done, I think, uh, we just try to do the best we can every single day, um, you know, trying to learn how to be better parents. And I think that's, you know, people beat themselves up with trying to be, you know, the best parent possible. And, you know, we're all, we're all just trying to figure it out. Things are different now. You know, there wasn't, uh, YouTube kids, uh, when I was growing up, you know, there wasn't a, my grandfather didn't hand me an iPhone when we were at dinner. So I would shut up, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, these are things that we have to navigate and um, we're trying our best to, you know, like you said, have a balance, but also know that we, we're, as much as I love digital and as much as I love technology, I don't want to have my son on the phone 24 hours a day either. Awesome. Thank you for that. You mentioned earlier, I think that you turned a failed breakfast business partnership into ultimately what you have now. So walk us through that growth and that transition. What was it like and what lessons did you learn? Yeah. So, I mean, being, being an entrepreneur, you have to be naive. Um, you've got to believe that something can be better um, than what it is. And that's the opportunity um, that you basically get the people to buy in or not buy in. And you have to have, you know, a level of persistence and willingness when everything fails to know that you're going to figure out a way to make it succeed. You know, we're, our, our restaurants located in an area of San Diego where there isn't other restaurants. I mean, we're in a commercial, industrial, residential, hybrid, rural type area. I mean, we're not in gas lamp. Um, downtown San Diego. We're not next to the Pacific Ocean in La Jolla. But for us, we've used that as our competitive advantage. You know, we've used the failures of doing things wrong and getting sued for showing fight nights when we didn't pay the proper licensing agreements. We had to find money to come up to keep the doors open. And we were able to do that. We converted from a breakfast restaurant into a barbecue restaurant because we knew that we had to have a distinct 
selling point for, you know, our product in order to succeed. We've learned a lot, you know, we've, we've learned a lot. We have a lot of battle scars and I think, you know, it's, it's the persistence and the ability to pivot. That's really the most exciting part about being an entrepreneur is because at the end of the day, you're making micro decisions all day long um, that, have, that have macro consequences. And at the end of the day, if, if it works out, you can do something really special and you can affect lives and you can change communities and you can do things that, frankly, most people told you you couldn't along the way. Yeah, true. Well, and I love that you said uh, pivot. I think adaptability, like, because you opened in 2008, right? Correct. Not, a, not the best time to be opening a business <laughs> after the, the uh, market crash. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned yellow pages too. So like, I mean, it's 2019 now, like now you have so much more you can do with digital media. So I guess how has adapting from how things were, you know, 2008 to what they're like now and just keeping your business alive through all of that? I mean, I, to be honest with you, that's that's the most exciting thing um, that's happened for me is that, you know, in 2007 is when the first iPhone came out. Wow. And if you think that, I mean, that, that was that was not that long time ago. And now what's changed that we can have a conversation on a podcast that gets distributed onto multiple platforms that can turn into a YouTube channel that can go on Instagram where someone could hear some information that inspires them to, you know, maybe they, maybe they just got a rejection letter from law school. You know, maybe they're, they've always thought that hospitality was something that they wanted to do, but they don't know if they want to open up a restaurant or find money or they're not at that point. They can go join a hospitality group. And if you're willing to put in the work and if you're willing to not get paid a lot, you can add so much value and you can essentially create your own position. Because there's so many platforms now that a restaurant owner has to learn about. I mean, it's it's beyond a full-time job just to run a successful restaurant that puts out great quality food that has impeccable service that we fail also. You know, we have humans. We're, we're not perfect. As much as we love having four and a half stars on Yelp, um, there's a lot of times where we get one stars, you know, and that people are upset. And we have to go through and figure out how do we fail? You know, how can we do better? So those are the things that, you know, for us, having the conversation with other restaurant owners, bar owners, people that, you know, are really excited about hospitality. Because no matter where you live in the world, every village, there's a local restaurant, a local eatery, a local bar that, you know, when your friends come into town, that's where you go, you know? And the question is, is what are they doing on digital to get new people to come there? Because I know when I go out or if I go somewhere with my wife, the first thing we do is we look on Yelp and Yelp is going to populate those results. Yelp is going to tell me, hey, these are the recommended places to go. And then we're going to look through the photos. If the photos look good, my wife is going to say, hey, let's go there. You know, is it family friendly? Are all these things updated? If those aren't updated, guess what? The chances that we go there are, 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 much, are much less. But somebody could work for that company or work for that restaurant group and help them to correct those things. And that's where the opportunity is. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned like how difficult it is to run the restaurant alone. And then you're adding more on top of that. So I guess the question is running a barbecue restaurant, a digital media company, a catering operation, and your events business. Why on earth did you start a podcast on top of that? Like obviously having a podcast would be important then. So do you think that that was a really great move? 
you know, to be honest with you, I think, you know, the podcast became the North Star of our digital marketing. That's awesome. Um, it, it allowed us to give back in a way that so many people had helped us. I mean, Gene Goykachea was our pit master. If it wasn't for him, there would be no Cali Comfort Barbecue. There would be no barbecue mm-hmm. festivals. He spent the time to talk to us about charity, about giving back, about how to cook barbecue the right way, how to, you know, use and use a Kansas City style rub and how to fabricate meats and how to, you know, cook on an old hook, old hickory pit, which we leased from him. So for us, sharing not just those stories, but the things that we've learned along the way about digital marketing, about taking care of your Yelp reviews, making sure that your Instagram page is updated, making sure that when you're going to, if you get the opportunity to go, um, you know, showcase your barbecue on the local news that you're on Twitter and you follow the anchors that are actually covering the story so that you can tweet them and then they retweet it out. Um, Those are all things that just allow your brand to grow and allow you to have different opportunities to do things that, you know, you love to do. Definitely. Well, and I just, I can attest to that as well because I started this podcast in January this year and my podcast has helped, (laughs) helped me a lot tremendously more than I ever thought it would. So I can only imagine what it does for businesses and then just creating some authentic, you know, relationships between them and kind of the behind the scenes of the business and also with the audience and the consumers. Yeah, to be honest with you, I mean, the the best part about the podcast is it allowed us to stop marketing about ourselves, but talking to other business owners about the conversations that we wanted to have and the things that we wanted to learn, but also pulling back the curtain to anyone that was interested in potentially opening up a barbecue business, potentially opening up a restaurant. Maybe they wanted to open up a sports bar. They wanted to get into catering or they, you know, have a small restaurant and they want to start serving food at the local stadium. Those are all things that we share because we're, we're able to share because of the podcast so that maybe it does help somebody, you know, and that, that was the coolest thing, you know, for a hundred episodes of behind the smoke, we had people, we had barbecue friends in, in Australia. We had people in Norway. We had people in Michigan that opened up their first barbecue restaurant. Um, we had some a butcher shop in Israel that was listening to the show. And it, it's, it's, it's just an incredible time to live and share information. And, you know, podcasting forces you to learn about the internet in a way that you never thought you had to. True. I love that. Well, and I, I want to direct people to your podcast and all the things you do uh, to learn more about that stuff if they're interested. But just quickly uh, for this episode, two things. If if someone does want to pursue that path of opening like a barbecue restaurant or just a restaurant, what are some like first steps to take and maybe some specific roadblocks to look out for? There's so many resources. Probably the one resource that we credit, you know, for my number one publication was restaurantowner.com. They have a magazine that they put out for all their subscribers and um, they have content and articles about things that you need, business plans that, you know, when you're pitching investors, legal pitfalls, I mean, you name it and they have the content available um, for somebody that's looking at getting into the restaurant business. And, you know, that's, that's the most exciting thing. I mean, we all, we all, we all have places that we love to go. And there's a reason why you love to go there is because of, of the way it makes you feel. Um, that's True. never going to go away. You know, as much as I love digital, as much as I love Amazon, as much as, you know, we, we want to 
make sure that we're on top of technology. Um, there's always going to be a place for how you make people feel. And that's what hosp- hospitality really is. With creating that vibe, I've noticed like a big, I guess, category or field of entertainment where that's really, really important is with sports. So like with your barbecue restaurant and with a sports bar, like I'm sure sporting is a huge part of that. So I wanted to ask too, since you're in San Diego in the NFL, so the Chargers went from San Diego to Los Angeles. So how has like the Chargers leaving San Diego affected your San Diego sports bar and barbecue restaurant? You know, it's been, (laughs) it's been a crazy ride for us. Um, We've always been a Chargers bar. Um, I'm a Chargers season ticket holder. Uh, When we were when the team was talking about relocating and working with the city, um, that was the first time that, you know, we got involved uh, civically in order to try to figure out a solution. Um, we volunteered our time with an organization called Save Our Bolts. Uh, we participated with other Charger fan groups, Bolt Pride, um, Bolt Complex, Die Hard Bolt Club. And that was really us, me, my wife, going out of our comfort zone, um, putting our business kind of involved in a political process that really was outside of our control but it was better to be involved than to not be involved because it allowed us to to create connections um relationships people in sports entertainment people in uh, the media uh, people within the chargers organization that saw that we really cared and that we were a passionate fan base once the team did leave uh, we obviously remained committed to being a chargers bar and we got a lot of backlash from a lot of local san diego um, fans who felt like uh, the owner of the team betrayed the city. Um, so we got kind of attacked on Twitter and on Yelp, ended up turning into a multiple local news story. And eventually the New York Times came out to cover it, um, where they talked about the restaurant, our involvement, um, why these people were going online to attack us. And we had local radio covering it, and local TV stations and kind of turned into a big ordeal. But at the end of the day, it wasn't whether we were a pro-chargers bar or anti-chargers bar. It was who we had been as a restaurant for the last 11 years. Uh, We had people who knew who we were, that we were always involved in the community, always giving back. And no matter who who we chose to root for on Sundays had nothing to do with, you know, the other, I mean, there's only eight, eight regular season games in a year. So um, if we depended on just Chargers business, it would be a bad business. Um, as much as I love sports, our our motto is it really doesn't matter. Whatever you want to watch, we'll have a watch party. So if you have friends that want to watch esports and come in for an e- uh, esports watch party, we'll have an esports watch party. If you want to watch Fight Night, we're going to figure out a way to get Fight Night on. What about The Bachelorette? Sure. <laughs> so we've, we actually, we've, we've hosted a Dancing with the Stars for a bunch of Pittsburgh Steeler um, ladies. They, oh uh, when Heinz Ward was on Dancing with the Stars, we had the entire restaurant reserved um, just just to watch Dancing with the Stars. So it, it, it doesn't matter what what you want to play on TV. We'll uh, we'll, we'll put it on and uh, make 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 sure you uh, you enjoy your time. Awesome! Wow, that's really cool. I, I love that you guys do that. So kudos to you for sure. Well, and what was that like to to know that you were being talked about in New York Times? <laughs> it was. It was the craziest thing um, because, you know, for 11 years, I've been trying to figure out a way to hack public relations PR and how to get press coverage. And, yeah. you know, to have to have the New York Times write an article before the San Diego Union Tribune 
it was it was a great sense of accomplishment. You know, I have friends that uh, they get the New York Times every single day, and they're very successful. And uh, when they saw Cali Comfort featured in the you know front page of the sports section on Sunday, the day the Chargers are playing New England, you know they they couldn't have been more proud for me and for our restaurant. And uh, you know we 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 just have incredible people that have allowed me to do what what I do, and that's kind of not so much be the operator anymore and let my team, I've got a general manager who's also my business partner, Eric Olson. He's been with me since day one, actually before day one, before we even opened. Um, we've got front of the house managers, catering managers, and, you know, really they're the leaders that allow me to go off and do all this crazy other stuff like podcasting and barbecue events and getting involved with the chargers and all kinds of other cool stuff that, uh, that we love to do. So. Awesome. Well, and at any point, did you, I guess, have to rebrand at all? We're always rebranding, actually. That's, that's cool, uh, too. That's, that's, I love that. So we, we, op- we opened as California Comfort Restaurant and Sports Bar. And once we started doing local radio, I realized that California was way too long for radio. So we cut it to Cali Comfort Restaurant and Sports Bar. And then we went to Cali Comfort Barbecue once we became a barbecue restaurant. And now we're becoming Cali BBQ Media because that's really at the essence what we really are. We're an online barbecue media company. We're just really excited about the the future, what the future holds. That's so cool. Just turning like a restaurant into a media company and going behind the smoke media uh, to Cali Barbecue Media. So I guess with talking rebranding, why is it important to rebrand? And then like, what advice would you have for people who are like working really hard to build their brand or are in a position where they might want to rebrand something? You know, I'm, I'm a huge Gary Vaynerchuk fan. I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. I'm a huge fan of, you know, anybody that's doing anything, you know, within digital marketing. Um, and Gary, Gary V it's, you know, you're, you're always working on your brand. If you're not working on your brand, nobody else will. And that's the, you know, that's the reality of, you know, kind of the things I want to hit home with people that do listen to our new digital hospitality podcast is, you know, we, as incredible as the barbecue that you, you make, you know, incredible service at the end of the day, nobody's going to come and write about you. No one's going to come and cover you. Like you have to care about getting your name out there and you have to care about making those connections. Um, because if you don't, guess what? No one else will. And if you want to create opportunity, use the internet because there's so much ability. I mean, the amount of relationships that we've created just from Twitter or just from Instagram or just from Facebook, um, because we're willing to respond, you know, we're really, we're willing to make a connection. We're willing to, you know, show up when people ask, ask for help. When the local church, when the local school needs us, um, we're there. The local fire department needs gift certificates for a raffle. Um, we're there and all those things, they all add up. But yeah, you you always have to care about your brand. You always have to be working on your brand and you can't, you, you just can't ignore the internet anymore. I like that a lot. So do you think that there's like an on and off switch to it or do you think, you know, 9 p.m. hanging out with the family, like it's totally cool to respond to comments or reviews um, or do you like totally shut everything off at like 5 p.m.? I, th- I, I think the way Gary Vaynerchuk does, and I, that's probably why he resonates with me so well, is uh-huh. that... There, it, it's it's twenty four seven, and it's our job as business owners and as leaders to find ways to, you know, automate some of those systems, but not just automate them, but make them personalized in a way 
to know that somebody's actually going to actually respond. You know, when you send a request on someone's website, does it auto-generate, you know, thank you for subscribing, like these are the things to expect, like how does that transaction feel? Because really that's what it is. All those touch points, all those digital touch points are ways, I mean, there's so much opportunity to create, you know, excuse my language, but oh shit, internet moments, where you go and if you've ever sent somebody a tweet that has, you know, 100,000 followers and they responded back to you, you know, it's incredible. You're like, oh my God, this person, like, they have no reason. Look how many people are commenting on their post. But if they do, you feel empowered. I mean, Tim Ferriss interviewed Ariana Huffington, the creator of Huffington Post, on one of his podcasts. And, you know, she talked about Thrive Global, which is her new platform where she's helping writers spread their message and help wellness. And, you know, she gave out her email address in the podcast, even though Tim said, don't do it, you're going to, you know, too many people are going to email you, it's going to break your server. And she said, no, I want writers to contact me. And I, I emailed Ariana Huffington and she has responded to me multiple times. I've published, you know, a couple articles on Thrive Global because of it. And for me, that's just, I mean, why is Ariana Huffington responding to a barbecue restaurant owner in Spring Valley? I mean, the only reason, the only reason I found out about it was because of a podcast that I listened to, you know, from Tim Ferriss. But how many people don't make that call to action when somebody offers help or somebody says, hey, contact me. Hey, send me a tweet. Let me know when you're here in San Diego. I'd love to, you know, have you come enjoy some ribs. I'll show you the back of the kitchen. I'll show you how we, you know, cook our barbecue. How many people don't take that opportunity? You know, it's kind of like when you're in class, you know, very few people are going to, you know, follow up. Very few people are going to take that extra step. Life is all about that extra step. That's where the fun happens. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, and as you were saying that, I was reflecting on a networking event that I went to this summer where, you know, I met someone really important from Google and he basically gave me his card and said, shoot me a message and tell me exactly where you want to go in life and I'll open my network to you and connect you with someone that can help you. Uh, but you, it's very important that you message me like a paragraph of exactly what you want in this life and where you want to go. And I did that and I sent it to him and he opened his network to me <laughs> and he connected me with some cool people. And then he told me, he was just like, you know, the reason I can confidently offer that to you is because nobody ever does it. And so he kind of commended me for messaging him back and actually pursuing that because apparently he's he's offered that same thing to almost everyone he's networked with and no one ever messaged him back. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So I'm glad that I did and I'm glad that we're talking about that. I think a really good way to put it is just show up, like show up to life. If you have an opportunity, jump on it. That's, that's going to help loads. Yeah, there's a book that I just started reading um, called The Third Door by Alex Benayan. Um, he actually embarked upon this mission when he was in college at USC to interview the most successful people in the world, Bill Gates, Steven Spielberg, Lady Gaga, and his whole path he puts into this book. Um, and I highly recommend that you, you read it and uh, I highly recommend your listeners read it. But it's about the third door principle is kind of like when you go into a nightclub, there's, always, there's three ways to get in. There's the long line that everyone's sitting, standing, waiting in line. Then there's the VIP line, which everyone wants to be in because it's the short line. But then there's the third, third way in, 
And the third way is the way that nobody else wants to go. And it's through the back alley, knocking on the window, trying to call to figure out who the owner of this side apartment is, and then busting your way into the club. And that opportunity is out there for everyone. I mean, that's essentially how my grandfather lived his life. And that's how he got to where he was. And now we live in an internet age. So it's even easier to find information on who you want to network with, who you want to grow your brand with, things that you care about in life, dreams that you have. If you have it, you have to do it because nobody else is going to do it for you. True. I agree. Well, when you mentioned your grandfather um, and that reminded me, I think I totally skipped over asking this, but you had written an article about him on LinkedIn, I think, right? Can you share some more insight on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, I've been, you know, playing around with different platforms, writing on Thrive Global, writing on Medium, writing on LinkedIn. And, you know, it's just another way of getting um, thoughts out into the internet to somebody that might care. And, you know, one of the things that was so valuable for me was just spending that time with my grandfather who was so persistent on getting his life down into a book that he could share when he was gone. Um, Every single person we have, you know, our parents, we have our aunts, our uncles, our grandparents, if we're lucky. Um, And at those family reunions, when you go, you know, we've, we've all heard the same stories over and over, but how many times have we asked a different question to get grandpa or grandma to open up to learn something different. If you if you approached it like you were interviewing for a podcast mm-hmm. and you went and you asked questions as if this was a guest that had a million followers and you wanted to do your research, you would approach it a lot differently. And there just might be nuggets of gold that you can pass on to your generate to your offspring um, and things that you can learn that you might never know. You know, that that might be gone forever if you don't take the time to, you know, ask those questions that you probably have never asked. True. I love that. Well, and that was something that really that I, I've, I think I first ever thought of it like probably four years ago where I was just like, I need to ask better questions and be more of an in-depth person than just say, Hey, how's it going? Good. You okay. Thanks. Bye. You know, like really brief surface level conversations. Like I've, I've been wanting to improve in that regard and and ask deeper questions and get to know people even if it's like a really quick thing and you don't become best friends it's just every conversation is so much more valuable that way and it opens the door to so many other opportunities when you can get past that you know surface of the icebreaker you know <laughs> I, I i agree completely and you know podcasting is definitely helped my improve my my ability to ask better questions to think about the interview process to think about the listening process but also the more that I'm willing to share when I'm asking questions or talking in conversation the more more vulnerable I am I tend to have deeper conversations as well um because like you said everyone we like to keep things on the surface and you know life is life is complicated there's the context is where everything happens and you know, that's kind of the pulling back of the curtain, the business side of the stuff, the podcasting stuff that, you know, you're, you're actually able to have, if it wasn't for this podcast, the chances, if you came to the restaurant and we met, the restaurant would be busy. I would have things to do. You know, maybe we could have a 10 minute conversation, but we wouldn't be able to talk about the things we were able to talk about today. That's true. I I was just thinking that I was like, if we, you know, met some other way than through this podcast. I don't know if it'd be the same 
kind of relationship conforming, you know, that's crazy to yeah. think about. Uh, well, and mm-hmm. there's one thing too, I really wanted to touch on before we kind of wrap things up. And that is your experience with alcoholism. Uh, you've mentioned you've, you've shared that as a business owner. So why do you think it's important to, uh, I guess, as a bar owner to share your struggle with alcoholism? Well, I think it's something that's not talked about enough. You know, there's a big stigma around alcoholism, but for me, getting sober um, over seven years ago, it, it saved my life. And I've been somebody that has surrounded his his life. I mean, 20% of my business is serving alcohol. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is a hypocrisy to it. But once I get past that hypocrisy and realize that even at our sports bar, we have two meetings that happen every single week, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings that happen on Friday at noon and Saturday morning, a men's meeting um, that happen in our bar. And there's people there that are able to get sober. I got sober in my own bar, <laughs> listening to, you know, people tell stories of their alcoholism. And, you know, when you're working in the business that we do, um, where you go as hard as we do, and we work when everyone plays, it, it can get lonely. It can feel like, you know, you're rewarding yourself at the end of a, you know, you close the bar at midnight or 2 a.m. and you think that, you know, those drinks that you've been having, you know, they're not going to accumulate and the hangover is not, you know, it's going to go away. It's going to be, you know, easier the next time. It's only gotten, it only got harder as my life went on, you know, and it got, I got to a place where I had to, you know, accept the fact that I was an alcoholic. But once I accepted that, And once I started sharing that, I became a lot more confident in myself because the people that I choose to have in my life, they know that I'm alcoholic. And I mean, I still go to the, this Sunday, I'm going to be up at the Chargers tailgate surrounded by alcohol. I mean, that's, that's what we do, but I'm going to be drinking Perrier and I'm going to remember the game and I'm going to drive home sober. So for me, it's just, uh, it's something that it's important to talk about because no matter where you are in the world, in, in Bulgaria, they they have issues with alcoholism that aren't talked about. Every family, you know, it's just something that in, until it affects you um, personally, deeply, um, we tend to ignore it and pretend like it's not there when it when it really is there. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Well, and I needed to hear it, and I know, uh, you know, of the listeners, there's, there's, I mean, we all probably need to hear it, but there's got to be someone that that's just, you know for sure going to resonate with and really needs to hear that. So thank you. Well, I mean, it's, it's scary. I mean, it's scary as hell to think of your life without alcohol. I mean, trust me, I'm, I consider myself a hall of fame drinker. I mean, I've, I've, you you name it, I've done it. I was all in, um, in college. I was all in, in high school. Um, I opened up a bar for goodness sakes. Um, but at the end of the day, now the most important thing to me is my family and my business and being healthy and, I know that I can live a life without it and I can still provide an opportunity, a safe place for people to come that don't have enough, that don't have alcoholism, that can come and enjoy drinks at our bar. That's so cool. Absolutely. What accomplishments are you absolutely most proud of? Definitely completing my grandfather's memoir uh, and getting it translated into Bulgarian, um, something that I'll cherish. Uh, it's the greatest inheritance I've ever, I'll ever have. Um, obviously having my son and my daughter and marrying my Bulgarian bride, you know, I think every day is an opportunity is another day that, you know, I can have an impact on the world, an impact on my son, an impact on my daughter, um, an impact on my staff, on my community. And I'm just, I'm grateful for that opportunity. 
what's a dream that you've achieved and a dream that you still really want to achieve? Mm, a dream I achieved was uh, feeding the San Diego Chargers our barbecue. That's so um, cool. At Chargers, at, at Chargers Park and getting, and getting paid to do it because we would have done it for free just for the marketing opportunity and for the, uh, the ability just to go and meet you know, Hall of Famers like Antonio Gates and Joey Bosa. Um, but for us, yeah, feeding, feeding the Chargers is definitely a highlight of, uh, of our business accomplishment. Um, something I want to accomplish is uh, getting my book written and published as well. That's so cool that you fed the Chargers. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, what's the best thing about money and the worst thing about money? Money is a funny thing. I mean, I've, I've, I've lived a life of privilege, but I've also been able to see the humble beginnings of where my grandfather came from. And what I do know is that money, money is a vehicle that allows you to do certain things. Um, if we didn't have money to keep the doors open, eventually we would have had to close our business. So I had to keep finding money. There's an abundance of money. And a lot of people focus on the short term and things that really in, in, in the big picture don't mean as much as, as they, they work it out to be. You know, we, we worry about debt. We worry about credit card debt. We worry about student loans. If you do the things that you care about, the things that excite you, the things that, you know, when you re you don't realize that you've been working for, you know, 10 hours straight, when you're working on something that you care about, the money will come and the money's there. I love that. If you could make one rule that everyone had to follow from now on, what rule would you make? I would make the rule that people had to hug when they welcome people and hug when they said goodbye. <laughs> That's so cool. Why, uh, why do you say that, though? Hugging is something that you have to initiate. Hugging is at the essence of hospitality. You know, when we think of our restaurant, we think of it as someone else's home. We want to make them feel welcome in their own home. Um, you want to feel like when your best friend's waiting for you at the airport or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife and you've been on, we want you to feel like right when you come in those doors that this is exactly where you're supposed to be, that you made the right decision. Um, and the hug, the hug embraces that. The hug solidifies that. True. I love that. Um, what's your favorite word? Agape. What does agape mean? Agape is unconditional love. Is that? Bulgarian? Uh, no, it's Greek. It's Greek just to describe the the unconditional love. Love with conditions is never something that's good, but unconditional love, like the love of I have for my son and my daughter, knowing that they will make mistakes and that I'll be there to support them no matter what, um, to be understanding, to be compassionate, to be empathetic. Favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Maybe it would be Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. Oh, I've never watched that. Netflix. Is that good? I love comedy, but I've never heard of that. You haven't heard Jerry Seinfeld Netflix special? Uh-uh. Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. It's, in, it's incredible because he talks about the craft of, of the joke and the craft of comedy. He kind of pulls back the curtain and interviews other comedians and talks about just literally how they see the world. Kind of uh, behind the smoke, if you will. Of, of comedy. It's an incredible show. We love it. Me and my wife, we watch it all the time. Awesome. I'll definitely check that out, probably even tonight. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Favorite social, uh, favorite social media platform? Twitter. How come? 
the speed, I guess, the speed in which you can get and the opportunity for a small business owner to have a voice and to connect with um, other local media members, um, develop relationships with other fans, people that care about the same thing that you care about. Yeah, I love Twitter. I love Instagram. I love YouTube. I really don't discriminate on any platforms. Thanks to Gary Vee. I just start. I just started a TikTok account a couple of days ago. Me too. We're we're, we're, there you go. I'll follow you. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm trying to figure. Well, I created it a long time ago before it was getting any of the hype, and I did one video, and then I was like recently watching Gary V talking about it on Instagram, and I was like, oh man, I gotta hop on this baby. See see what I can well, make for, of it. For a beatboxer like you with a billion views, you better get on. You should own TikTok. <laughs> I know beatboxing should be a good home for that. So I need to need to get better at that. And honestly, I've been thinking about that too. Just beatboxing in general. This year has been a year of podcasting for me, and I definitely feel like I've put beatboxing on a back burner. And so I need to front burn that again and, <laughs> and see if I can do more of a beatbox game. Well, put it on the front burner. Make it happen. Definitely. Well, and okay, before we go, I just wanted you to share how people can find you, what social media you have. I'll I'll include that in the intro and outro that I make as well, but I want to make sure I get that. Perfect. Easiest way for people to find us is Cali Comfort BBQ on Instagram and on Twitter. It's Sean S H A W N P Walchef W A L C H E F and uh, Cali BBQ dot media is where you can find everything related to the podcast, the restaurant, the blogs. We're, we're, we like to call ourselves the loudest barbecue restaurant on the internet. So chances are, if you put in Cali BBQ, um, you'll find us. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you, Sean, for making the time to be on Upbeat. I, I appreciate you being here with me. Well, I, I uh, look forward to any of your listeners, if they're ever in San Diego, I hope that they create their own ocean internet moment and uh, contact me, DM me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever their choice of platform. Come enjoy some ribs and then we'll uh, we'll send you the photo. And okay. that, that uh, invitation goes to you as well. So you can't come to San Diego now. Now that we've done this whole dance, you can't come to San Diego and not get barbecue. So, <laughs> Well, I plan on it. I need to get down that way. Well, that's the deal. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it so much. You got it. Thank you guys very much for listening to Upbeat. And Sean, thanks, man, for being on the show and for providing game changer insight for all of the listeners, uh, myself included. I learned a lot, especially in regards to hospitality, taking extra steps, and the importance of being able to pivot. Uh, it really stood out to me. That's what I needed to hear. So thank you for that. And again, thank you to everyone who's listening. Please follow Upbeat and rate five stars and leave a review. I would definitely appreciate that so much. <laughs> and on Instagram, go give Sean and I a follow. Sean's Instagram is at CaliComfortBBQ and my Instagram is at ParkerKane.co. We would both love to connect with you there. Thanks everybody for listening. I'll see you next week. <laughs>